got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Ah, so much fun today. So much fun, Adam. It, you know, the weather's nice and it's, it's it is sad because nice. it doesn't feel. Remember the day, I don't know if you remember this specifically, but the day after Kansas beat Duke in the Elite Eight in 2018. It was, you know, like 50 and cloudy and a little bit drizzly. But for Kansas fans, it was 75 See, I don't even and sunny. The it, weather. Was, it was perfect. I, I will say I just this. Remember, I just remember that day going, man, the weather is really not in con- is really contrasted with my mood because I felt great that day. So today you've got perfect weather. It's it's beautiful March weather. It makes you not, not just knowing that it's March, but feels like, okay, the tournament's right around the corner. And he just let last night, and now you you know twenty nine points in an entire half of basketball, and you just feel. Bleh. I have noticed a correlation with. It seems like I don't know. Maybe this has just happened like two or three times, so it feels like every time. But like the last like seven years, I feel like every time KU loses in the NCAA tournament, like that next Monday, it's like overcast, it's raining. We don't we don't have that today, so that is in, good. In two thousand ten, I was in Oklahoma City to watch Kansas lose to Northern Iowa. And I just wanted to get out of there, but we had to stay that night because there was another snowstorm blowing mm. in. So that was sad. Well, maybe this is a sign of things to come. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. You know what? It's the the weather saying, "Hey, last night wasn't any fun, but good things on the horizon." Well, if we do want to look at it from a positive spin, um, again, what I said yesterday, and you know, he didn't really want it to happen, but if KU ended up two and one this week, which now. Uh, let's make it clear. After the way that you lost that game, it feels anything but a certainty that you're going to win these next two games. But nonetheless, if they do win the next two games, you even if it is just a share for the Big 12, which where you were a week ago would feel like a bit of a disappointment. But if you end the season, the regular season, at 25-6, and 14-4 and four in Big 12 play, you shared the Big 12 crown, and the team you shared it with isn't just like a fine team. The team you shared it with is objectively one of the best teams in the country and is projected to be a one seed. And you would be the one seed in the Big 12 tournament. And you'd be hanging around that one or two line. You would say, if that were the case at the start of Big 12 play, especially if I threw in that you were going to lose by 20 to Kentucky along the way, you would yeah. say, okay, I'm cool with that. I, I And, and, and to what you just said, that was right on my mind, Derek. I would have, I think a lot of people would have taken that after the loss to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, 100%. If you, if you would have said, hey, take your chances or take this to the bank right now, 14 and four and a split title. With, with a Baylor, really good team. With yeah. Baylor, they would have been like, oh, including including splitting with Tech and Baylor mm-hmm. in the schedule. I think most fans, after getting swamped by Kentucky, would have said, hell yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. So it's, it's all about and, perspective. And to be fair, it's okay to change your we, – we, Derek and I talked – this was obviously before I was on the show, but um, Derek and I talked a lot during Patrick Mahomes' first season – that you know, as as losses came, you felt disappointed, and we had the discussion a lot that it's okay to change your your expectations as the season goes along. So it's a perfectly okay and valid to feel worse and more disappointed in this team today than you did last. Uh, what day is it? Wednesday. 
that's fine. But in the big picture, um, everything's still in front of this team. It's mm-hmm. just it just you, you, it just sucks losing to a team that you really feel you're better than. Yeah, and I'll say this: like I, I'm kind of back to where I was with the Kentucky game. Not in terms of like I'm not I'm not as down as I think I was after that game. But in terms of after that game, I was kind of ready to change the expectations of this is a Sweet 16 level team that if they make it further, it's the cherry on top, and it just makes it more fun. Kind of in the same way we viewed the 2018 team, even though that was a one seed, and then you ended up getting a pretty good bracket. I mean, when you have Clemson as your four seed, and you played one really good game against Duke. Um, Clemson with a four seed, by the way, and thankful that that game was 40 minutes long and not 45, because yeah. it was 45 minutes long at Kansas with a lot. Probably same with the Seton Hall game. But, yeah, that's um, fair. I mean, that's kind of how I viewed that team after this team after the Kentucky game it's like if you make the sweet 16 after that you're playing with house money and then the Baylor game happened and really along the way for the next week or two after that it felt like no this team is a legit final four team this team um if they can figure out the defense a little bit for a couple weeks in March maybe they are a national title level team well I think where we're at now I'm kind of ready to revert back to the this feels like a sweet 16 team to me where if you do more it's the cherry on top be happy about it is it possible that because what I've kind of been saying and and, and I I got I, I propped KU up pretty high but I I said that there were three teams that I felt these are the big dogs and then I thought Kansas was in that next group below it I still kind of view that to be the case that is to say if you and I wake up from a coma mm-hmm. and Kansas is playing in the final four, Neither of us are going to go. Whoa! No, it's not. But you know, it's not Leicester City or Leicester City winning the Premier. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah. But I, I do think it is kind of like. I, I just, I think now more than anything after this week, and I'm just less sure about the the definitive top three. Ten, I just think there's a wash of teams in the top twelve or so. Yeah, and I think Kansas is among them. I do, my biggest concern is exactly what I said Monday, which is the only ne- not the only negative, but a the biggest negative to me to take away from that Baylor game was is this the beginning of a drop off in offensive production from players not named Ochai and now you've got two games in a row. Yeah, and now you have drop off from Ochai as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now you're like, okay, this is two games in a row. The sample size over the course of Big 12 play still suggests that Jalen has been a really good player. McCormick has been a really good player. Christian Brown has been a really good player. But you now have two games in a row where it's gone away. Yeah. And that's scary. Yeah, I I have real questions about in the same way that a couple weeks ago we said, is this a good shooting team because they're near the top of the conference and they're they're solid from three and stuff. It's not like elite, but it's solid nationally. Or is it just a team that has Ochag Baji, who's an elite shooter, on high volume because the rest of the team outside of Ochai wasn't shooting that well. And yes, Zach Clements and Jalen Coleman lands are good shooters, but they don't play enough to fully impact that. And I think in the same way I had that question, I kind of have the same question about this team as a whole. Is this a... Because even after the loss, like, they're top 10 on Ken Palm. They're ninth on Ken Palm. Um, You know, they're still right now projected to be a two seed. Like, clearly this is still a top 10 team in the country. Um, But are they a top 10 team in the country that has the chance to be better than that because they are a great team? 
or are they a top 10 team in the country that has a chance to be better than that because they are just a fine team, like a top 25-ish team that happens to have a National Player of the Year candidate in Ochag Baji? I would say they're legitimately, because they were still, what was their lowest rank this year? Like, on Ken Pump, did they ever dip below, like, 13th? No, I don't think they've ever gotten out of the top See, 10 on Ken Pump. Maybe 10 why, or 11. Even when we were going, what the hell, Jalen Wilson, even when we were going, what the hell, David, you know, it, it, where's David, where's Big 12 conference play from last year, David McCormick gone, they, they never fell out of the top 10. And so I think this is a very real top 10 team. Um with what we've shown, uh, you know, with other players stepping up, kind of okay to to make the comparison. And you had a really good tweet um, last night yeah. talking. And we'll have Jesse Newell on later discussing kind of a difference between um, the 2018 team and this mm-hmm. team. And, and and analytically, Jesse is right, and, and and I know you agree with him here that. This team does analytically look similar to a 2018 team that wound up going to the Final Four um, and certainly had its warts. But I do also, they had more good shooters than this team. Yes. They, they could surround, they had multiple good shooters. But I, I think one thing that this team might have that I don't think that team had what it was you had Malik Newman, who was a five-star prospect, rise up and play like a five-star prospect. I do think, and you could argue that this is an advantage or disadvantage, depending on what if you want to be optimistic or pessimistic, but I think it's just more fact that this team doesn't have a Malik Newman, but there are three guys, at least two, I would say maybe three, but at least two guys in Jalen Wilson and David McCormick who have shown that when they're on, you're one of the best teams in the nation. And so there is reason to think if you're maybe you don't have a Malik who just hauls off and averages twenty eight or whatever he did for the last seven games of the year or whatever incredible run he went on, but you do have two guys who, when they're awake and when they're playing at their best, you're one of the best teams in the country, and that is where if you're going to draw similarities to past teams that made surprise runs to the Final Four, you have two guys that could wake up. Yeah, you do. It's just that I think. Like, whereas Malik, this is what Malik did from the Big 12 tournament on, uh, just points-wise. 30, 22, 20, 10, 28, 17, 32, 21. Um, it's, it's not that Dave and Jalen and, and those guys ha- can't have that high ceiling. It's just that, like, Malik strung all those games together. What's your confidence level that yeah, Dave yeah, is going to string those games together, it's, right? It's like going back and... and you know, think well. You know, Frank Clark did it in that one playoff a couple of years ago. So Frank Clark is just going to turn it around every playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like no, I. But I think the difference is this year. If again, it's just worth noting that we've seen Jalen and David McCormick both combined put good stretches together for multiple games. I again, I, I, I fully acknowledge that 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 is not the likelihood. Um, but I do think at the very if it, the the hope to look for is that we've seen both of those guys have multiple games in a row mm-hmm. um, that made you go whoa they're really something yeah yeah and that 2018 we'll we'll have more of that comparison with Jesse Newell it is just kind of interesting that um like offensively defensively they profile very similarly that team finished 24 and 7 13 and 5 in the regular season that team ended up getting a one seed there wasn't a lot of talk about it they made a final four but like you said the big difference for me is that 
you did have the Malik Newman effect because that's what changed things in March. And who knows, maybe Remy can be that or something. But they I, shot 40% from three, which was top 10 in the country. This team is fine at shooting threes, 36%. That's 56 But again, but so much of that production comes from one. Exactly. Year. Let me ask you this about Remy. I have we overlooked the possibility and, and actually I, I don't want to say we because you have said multiple times now that you think that for the time being it's yet it needs to be Yesifu with Remy working himself back in and I so I guess I'll ask me and, and fans have 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 myself and fans has it over have we overlooked the possibility that um while there is a higher ceiling with Remy Martin because he more than Yesifu has shown that there is at least tw- a twenty game, a twenty point game in, inside him. Um, have we just jumped on that and thought, "Wow, look at this team!" and wait till they add Remy, and not thought enough about they're actually going to take a step back when they add Remy? Not because he's a worse player than Joe Yesifu, but because basketball is a game that really mm-hmm. needs chemistry. I think that's a really good point, and I think that. You know, like what I'm about to say here is not an indictment of Remy or anything. Like I, I think the players love Remy. I think Remy loves being at KU. I do think, you know, at this stage of the game, trying to reinsert him to the lineup, it almost is a distraction's not the right word because that makes it sound like it's an off the court thing. And again, like I said, every, I think all the players love Remy. I think Remy loves playing with everybody. It's just it's tough, like you said, to try to capture that chemistry this late in the season when you're playing your most important games. And I can't help but wonder, like if you would have been able to do this in in early February, great. But I can't help but wonder at this late in the season if you would have just been better off with what you had going into the Baylor game. I, I, I don't think it's fully on that. Like clearly there's more issues here than than just that. And that's the other part of this too. Like I, I don't know what to think of this because in the, in the Baylor game, yes, Remy was atrocious on defense in the Baylor game, although he was good offensively. In the TCU game, he was fine. He defended his ass off. Yeah, I thought TCU he was game. fine defensively yeah. last night. But see, I, I don't know what to do with this either because it feels like every game where Remy does do the little things – then he just doesn't do anything offensively. He had zero points in the game. And then you have Dewan Harris, who's just not an offensive threat. He hasn't scored the last two games. He does have seven assists each game. Yeah, um, he needs to see. I, I, I keep looking at his assist numbers, and I'm like, wow, those are those are really good looking. But the, uh, he has to put the ball in the bucket. Mm-hmm. He it, has to. It's just tough. There there are as— Just as, give me eight points, man. As good as this offense has been overall, there are clear holes. Like, you have that. You have the fact that— it has been inconsistent with Remy. Um, Christian Brown just passes up open threes. He's still a good player. David McCormick, Mitch Lightfoot is the five-man position, which, you know, it's it's just been so inconsistent. It just, I, I don't know. It just, it hasn't solved a lot of their issues from last year with, you know, how are you going to get more athletic? How are you going to get better there? Because um, you do have four or five starters back, so it's, it's mostly the same team. And then all the guys you brought in to kind of change that athleticism just don't play enough to fully because you watch that game against TCU TCU was the much more athletic I don't I don't know if they're the more athletic team or if they just showed to be more athletic in that game but it's hard to walk away from that game and not think yeah TCU just completely out athleted KU it's just yeah, they outworked them for sure and, and that's the thing with like with Remy and Joe they can change that because they're fast quick guards but I I don't really know what to think of the Remy Martin situation I just don't because like I said he played better I thought last night at least defensively but you didn't get anything offensively, and is it a correlation that you've just happened to lose both games since he's come back? Is it a fact of just they 
it takes time to get the chemistry. I don't know what the answer is there. And I think that's what makes this very unique to other years. Even in seasons where, you know, like last year, for instance. Last year, KU was not a typical, like, how many seasons of one season, two seasons have we seen from Bill Self for years where you go into it and legitimately think this team can make a Final Four run? It's not that the last year's team, we didn't think that, oh, maybe if this breaks right or that. But realistically, going into the tournament and last year. We also saw on Selection Sunday right next to them in USC. Exactly. The, the team that was ranked the, higher than them The worst possible yeah. six seed they could have asked for was in their pod. Right, and, and I think 2019 applies as well. Like, they were a four seed, and, and you could kind of stretch your head around to get into, like, well, who knows, in, in the Sweet 16 Elite Eights in Kansas City. But realistically, it was like, yeah, but is this team really going to make the Final Four? Even specifically, like, last year, at this point in the season, even if they maybe weren't as good as some other Kansas teams, it felt like the rotation was solved. Like, you knew who was going to be playing when. Maybe the 2019 team, it, it was a little bit unsolved because you would have certain games where, like, oh, is Charlie Moore or K.J. Lawson going to play this or that? This year's team is, it's not figured out at all. And that's a little scary. How, how Do you just mean specifically with, with Remy and whoever that other lead guard's going to well, be? Yeah, we do, you don't know what's going to happen with Remy Martin. How much is Joe Yesifu going to yeah. play? How much is Jalen Coleman-Lands going to play? What's up with the center position? Because as much as, as we like to think that it, it is Dave and Mitch moving forward, this is back-to-back bad games for Mitch Lightfoot. Yeah. And David McCormick looked a lot like early season Dave last night. Um, I, Didn't he? I mean, he had 9-11, and 11, though, didn't he? The stats looked fine, but, but I mean, how you're many? Right. He, you know, yeah, you even, you're right. You're right, because there were, I'd forgotten... When they have like three straight possessions where he dribbled or he lost I think there control were of a three ball. missed layups, yeah. losing basketballs, yeah, unable yeah, yeah. to hold You're rebounds, right. I, not getting defensive rebounds. Yep. And they got worked on the glass last night. And it, and it's hard not to think that KU's high profile freshmen aren't playing and you just wonder if if you could go back and, and if you could ask Bill Self to go back in a time machine, if he would be playing these freshman big men more. Because I think the assumption for him all along was that, okay, we saw this last year with Dave. It'll get figured out. And to an extent, it has a little bit. But it it's not even just Dave. It's it's the Mitch thing as well, and it's, it's just the five position overall. This feels like the most in flux that a rotation and lineups and everything have been for a Bill Self team this late in the game. And I don't know how much you can fix it at this point. Yeah, and I think the frustrating thing is, is even if you say it's similar to 2019, um, you, if the if the thing you have is just take what you've got going right now, um, it's fair to ask: is that is it enough in terms of going to a Final Four? Um, you know, I just I I I, I kind of go there. We Derek and I in turn one of the. One of the guys who was on the show we interned for had this thing every baseball season where, where the, the fewer ifs you had on your baseball team being successful, the more successful they were gonna they were likely gonna be. So like if you were like, well, if the starting you know, if if the three, four, and five starters do well, if our bullpen does well, if the back five of the starting of the uh, of the batting order d- goes well, and he did a. It was a really smart idea. And the more ifs you had, the less likely you were going to have a good season of your baseball team. You could say the same thing about a team going into March. And right now, it's if Jalen turns into the Jalen that we've seen for stretches. If David McCormick goes back to the Dave we saw in stretches. If you know, 
they avoid certain matchups. If, if the defense plays if better. The defense plays if Remy well, gets figured out. If Christian Brown either starts shooting better or or start, stops passing up decent looks, like there are a lot of ifs on this team that any one of them you can see being likely. Mm-hmm. What's the likelihood all of those ifs come together now? Yeah, not great. I, I think the biggest thing that... Um, March is crazy, and yes, crazy things do happen with the bracket. That is, but that's not something that I want to like. If it happens, it could happen. I'm not saying it yeah. can't. I'm not saying KU can't make a Final Four. But if you're just talking about the most likely scenario, yeah. I'm not going to entertain that. I'll add this, and and maybe I'm just too, you know, I'm I'm just you know, this is annoying, hopeful ap- optimism for my part. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when was the last time Bill Self? got 2012 i mean bill self has had breaks in in terms of the bracket breaking for him one year they did take advantage of it that being 2008 they 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 played a 12 in the sweet 16 and a 10 in the elite eight and they wound up winning the national title it broke for him in 2011 um they didn't take advantage of it they lost to vcu it broke again in 2012 um with you know playing i think a 10 in the sweet 16 or no a 10 in the second round and an 11 in the sweet 16 and then uh, Kendall Marshall gets hurt for North Carolina. They beat North Carolina in the Elite Eight. Um, it's been a while since the bracket kind of broke for this team. So that's something. Yeah, who knows? It could happen. I just, like I said, if, if we're doing but a radio you, show you ha- talking about... But you, yeah. yeah, you have to think of it in terms of, you know, are you good enough to beat a, 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 you know, a 15, then a 7, then a 3, mm-hmm. then a 1? Yeah. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Jesse Newell joins us in about 15 minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Jesse Newell joined the show in less than 10 minutes. This is RCST. With Adam Brevetta, I am Derek Johnson. Uh, quick update on Rock Chalk Pickahawk. Adam, uh, you fell. Not yesterday. good. 59-41 the final. I won it, so that clinches me the regular season title. Unlike KU, we'll be able to do tomorrow night against TCU. 12-8, I am up, but you still have time. Big 12 tournament, NCAA tournament, all that stuff. Um, Oshai got me 21, kind of a down game for him. Second straight game where he's had to take a lot of shots. I I wonder if he's he's pressing a little bit with the others around him struggling on offense. It's possible, um, especially when he was chucking them uh, Saturday night. Um, I also wonder if fatigue setting in. Yeah. A lot of shots are coming up short. I think Christian and Ochai combined went like three of 18 on twos. I think that's right. Ugh. That's yeah, not great. K. By the way, that was KU's worst two point shooting game of the season. They're uh fifty five percent on the year, even after the game, which is top twenty in the country. They were at thirty five percent. Yeah, they're last bad. night. Um, Christian got you thirteen. Dave got me nineteen. Jalen got you twenty one. Dewan got me eleven. Jalen Coleman Lands got me eight. Remy got you negative one, and Mitch got you eight points. Just not a great game. No, it's a, all all around just a bad game. All right, our daily poll is going to be something that we talked about in the open. If KU wins their next two games, um, 
and just assuming that Baylor would uh, beat Iowa State at home on Saturday. So if KU wins their next two games and at that point ends the regular season at 25-6 and six with a 14-4 and four mark in Big 12 play, good enough for a share of the Big 12 title, based on your pre-Big 12 expectations, you would be happy about it, be fine with it, be upset about it, or other. I think a lot of people, I think more people than we might think will say upset about it. I would say I'm fine. I'd be happy about it. Um, so it was happy. Yeah. Happy. Again, fine. try to transport yourself to the place where you were before Big 12 play. So it was happy, fine, and upset, right? Yeah, yeah. So, or other. Yeah. I would say, I mean, I'd be happy about it. I think a lot of people, I think the majority are going to say fine with it, though. Yeah, I think I think knowing that we've lived it, it's hard for me not to say you just be fine about it. But again, in, in non-con play, this team was, was really good. Don't get me wrong. They were 11-1, and one, but they hadn't really like had that crown jewel victory. You know, like Michigan State's ranked 40th in Ken Palm right now. North Texas is 43rd. That's all you got, really, in the non-con. So we didn't know a ton about this team. Um, Dave was struggling at that point, and you knew going into Big 12 play, we knew this conference was loaded. Mm-hmm. We knew, I mean, heck, going into Big 12 play, I think Baylor was the number one team in the country. If they, if they, if it wasn't, it was right, the, right when Big 12 play had started. So I think if you would have said right when Big 12 play started, KU goes 14 and four and shares the crown with a team we perceive to be one of the best in the country. In featuring, Baylor featuring a split with Tech and Baylor, and you were going to have the one seed in the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know how you're not happy with it. I mean, it still needs to happen. Right. That's the problem. It's far from a guarantee at this point. Yeah, very far. Um, But if it happens, I'd I'd very much take that. Yeah. Ken Palm has it as an 82% chance they beat TCU at home, which seems high for me, and then 70% against Texas. That means you have a 57% chance to win both. So it's about a coin flip that you even go 2-0 in these next two. All right. With Adam Brevetta, I'm Derek Johnson. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joins us next. About 20 till 4, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Adam Dravetta, I am Derek Johnson. KU loses last night to TCU by 10 points down in Fort Worth. And uh, I, I think Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star has almost been the ledge walker offer so far. <laughs> um, Jesse has, has very much pointed out that everything is still in front of this team. As as we were just talking about, our daily poll today was, you know, if you said before the Big 12 season started, if they go 14-4 and four in conference play and, and share a conference title and the team you're sharing it with is one of the best teams in the country in Baylor, I still think you'd be probably happy about that. Now, they still have work in front of them to get there. Uh, but certainly, I think the last two games at the same point in time, it almost takes the wins out of the sails because I think you were probably riding high after, you know, the Baylor big win and, and what, seven of eight wins or something like that after the Kentucky game to where it did feel like this was a legit Final Four national title team. And now uh, I think a lot of people are more in the boat of second round, Sweet 16, something like that. Now, Jesse, I know you've brought up a lot of comparisons of this team to the 2018 team. Um, and... I guess I'm kind of interested in going back and forth on this because the offense and the defensive profile is there. The win-loss record in the regular season is there. But isn't that team more suited for the higher ceiling because of their three-point volume and strong three-point shooters all around the court? Um, uh, Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, You know, it's... 
I guess I'm thinking like there's lots of ways to, to make the sausage, right? Um, Purdue's really efficient, and they do it differently than Kansas. Gonzaga's really efficient, and they do it different than Kansas. Uh, Baylor last year was really efficient, and they, they obviously do it different than what KU does. So um, I guess the main point is I, I get that it's not an exact replica of the 2018 team for Kansas, but uh, that team couldn't score inside unless it was Yudo Gazabuki either. I mean, this team has dangerous guys off the dribble, uh, guys like Dylan Wilson, Christian Brown, Ochai Abaji on normal nights. I've been able to get to the rim, get fouled, uh, make twos at a clip that is unprecedented, uh, you know, since in the last decade or so. So, I mean, yeah, I guess we could nitpick it. You could say, well, this team isn't as good three-point shooting-wise as 2018, but I could come back with you and say, well, this team's better in transition. This team's better driving. This team has better wings. This team has other ways it can score. It gets it to being fourth nationally in efficiency. Whereas that team got to fourth because they chucked up a bunch of threes. And, you know, maybe the variance is a little bit higher and lower, but I don't know that that's necessarily a positive sign either. I mean, you saw how that could swing against Kansas, too, in the Final Four when they played Villanova and didn't defend three very well. And a team, you know, knocked them out, basically, because of that sort of thing. So um, I, I don't think different means worse. I think different means different. But this team and the 2018 team, in very similar ways, I guess the main point is that their offense is carrying the day. You know, their offense is going to be the calling card, and the defense is going to drag along behind. And so if they play with some effort and rebound the ball, they're going to have a chance on a given night because offensively they're really good and they're really tough to guard. And I think that is sort of the underlying factor I'm talking about here when you're talking about comparing this team to another squad for KU that made the Final Four just four years ago. Yeah, and, and I agree with you for what it's worth on on the, you know, the, the profile – similarities and and that that team is a good reminder that you know you don't have to have everything right you can still make a run in March and that team even didn't even have a a bracket break open for them they they beat all the seeds along the way I guess what I was going with is is that word you use in your answer there variance where um that 2018 team because they shot a lot of threes because they had a lot of guys who could shoot threes at a high mark and that team was better at shooting threes than this team is whereas this team is basically Ochai and a bunch of dudes unless Jalen Coleman lands or Zach Clements is on the court. And I think they're 273rd in three-point attempts per field goal attempts. So there's not as much volume as there was for that team. I guess that's where I'm going is that I think with this team, it it, it almost just feels like to me, I don't know, maybe it's the lack of, of attempts there or the lack of ceiling, I guess would be another word, the variance as well, that you got with that year's team where – it could, if everything was going right, if they are hitting these shots, if Malik Newman is playing superhuman, which he was, then that's what happens because you are taking that high volume of threes. Whereas this year's team, it just, I don't know. I feel like there's maybe not that ceiling of the 2018 team, which they happened to hit in March. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I struggle with that one. I just think, you know, college basketball, and a one-and-done tournament, we're already dealing with a variance. You know, we're already dealing with crazy things happening, and there's already bounces of the ball and shooting in any given game um, that is going to determine the outcome. I mean, you saw it last week at Kansas. So they play K-State, and they march on the court, and they make 15 to 24 threes. You're not going to beat Kansas any night. I mean, you want to talk about playing to a ceiling. Like, if Kansas makes 15 to 24 threes like they did that night and shared the ball and moved the ball like they did and – Bill Self talked about the offense humming and then being unselfish. I mean, that's the feeling, right? Like, like that is still a really magical place to get to. That could take them anywhere they want to go. That 
that type of performance is going to beat Gonzaga. And Gonzaga, to me, is the best team bar none in the country this year. So um, I guess it's different varying levels of degree to it. I mean, maybe the 2018 team would have shot 32 threes instead and made 17 or 18. I don't know. I mean, uh, but, but there's still ways for this team to get to that point. Um, but, again, you know, they play the next game at Baylor. They go 7-28 from three, and then you lose. I mean, that's, that's sort of basketball today's day and age. And when there's more and more threes being shot, you hear the cliche a lot. And I think it's because the cliche is true. It's kind of a, a make-or-miss game sometimes. And that's why the postseason just is so painful to me. Like, uh, you, you, you build up your whole season to get to this moment and – you know, potentially weird things can happen in that in that one potential uh, game that that defines your season when it, it it's kind of an outlier from what you did in 34, 35 other games. But I guess my main point is this: so I've just seen a lot of gloom and doom out there with Kansas, and I get it. Kansas didn't play mm-hmm. well yesterday; they lost two straight. It doesn't happen very often. But like that team, that 2018 team, which I'm talking about, they're so similar to. Kansas was a favorite in its first-round game pretty comfortably. It was a favorite in its second-round game pretty comfortably. It was a favorite in its 316 game against Clemson, you know, five or five points, four points, five points, something like that. And then they were a slight underdog to Duke and ended up winning in overtime. Uh, got to the Final Four. This team is going to be similar unless something weird happens in their bracket. Again, unless unless they draw Gonzaga, unless they get the two-seed and Gonzaga's the one. Then, then something like that doesn't happen. But you know, I can go down here in bracket matrix. I mean, let's look at, like, the seven seeds that Kansas might face. Um, Michigan State, mm-hmm. Colorado State. I mean, those sorts of teams. I'm here to tell you guys, like, you can think whatever you want about Kansas right now. Kansas would be a seven, eight-point favorite against Colorado State or, or against Michigan State if they, those two teams played neutral today. And it wouldn't be neutral because Kansas is likely going to have the sort of home court advantage in the NCAA tournament. So, I just sort of reject some of these notions, like, oh, my gosh, KU is fatally flawed. They can't do anything. This loss proves that they can't win. You know, they're going to be a first-round exit or first-weekend exit team. It's just like, guys, Kansas is so good. Like, like they didn't forget how to play basketball. They're, you know, their coach isn't gone. Their coaching staff isn't gone. I mean, they're still good. And so, yeah, then you get to the Sweet 16, maybe you get a three-seed. Uh, but still, I'm saying the same thing here. Like, here's the three-seed. Tennessee, Villanova, Wisconsin. KU would be favored against any of those teams. So that's the position KU's in right now. The problem for them is they get to the Elite Eight game, they're probably not favored. They're probably the two seed. They're probably playing a team that's better than them. And that's not amazing if you want to make a Final Four. That's not amazing if you have national title aspirations. And if, if fans were to be disappointed that Kansas was preseason number three, and right now they're probably about the eighth or tenth best team somewhere in there in America, Okay, I mean, that's, that's not a far cry off from third, but I get it. They don't have the ceiling of 2020. They don't have the ceiling of 2008. But I, I just don't think everybody should throw the baby out of the bathwater here. I mean, Kansas lost two. They play in a tough conference. Um, you know, they were probably about 70% to win last night, and they didn't. So the 30% sometimes happens. And that doesn't mean you forget everything that's happened the previous 27 games of the season. And um, Kansas right now, unless something wacky happens in the bracket, they're going to be a major favorite in the first game, and they're going to be a couple of favorites in the second game. So I, I just think that the narrative out there or the, the fan base freaking out and saying that this team automatically is doomed in the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament is just silly. It's silly. KU should win its first two games. You know, some tournament's crazy. They might not, but uh, this is still a good enough team to advance past that point because they're going to be better than those opponents that they face.
See, this is good. This is what I'm talking about. The the ledge walking off. I think all that was was very good stuff. Um, comparing to the 2018 team, if we just want to keep that conversation going, obviously Malik Newman was you know superhuman in that stretch. Uh, which player for KU do you think? I, I know it's it's impossible to say. Well, yeah, that's uh, kind of once in the lifetime thing. So the chances of that happening again are so small. But in terms of just a player playing above who he was over the course of things. Um, who do you think would be the best chance, the best, best Malik Newman candidate for this team, and, and who would KU most need it to be? Well, yeah, I know what you're saying. Like the guy yeah. that kind of pops up and, and you know saves his season, if you will, and that happens every NCAA tournament, and KU has dudes on the bench that potentially could do that. Um, you know, I, I've said this before, so I'll start with this. This is not answering your question, but if, if I could pick one player every game for Kansas if you said, hey, this player's going to play well to give Kansas the best chance to win, I'm picking Dave McCormick every single time. Because we've seen in their wins and their losses, a lot of times look different. They don't rebound the basketball. They don't defend well inside. Dave McCormick's in foul trouble. I mean, he is such a linchpin for them. Uh, and you saw last night when he didn't go up to the ball early and got benched early and they had to start playing merry-go-round on their five positions. There's just no comfort level. And the defense is horrible usually. And it was horrible last night. And um They've got that foot injury. You know, you just don't know where that's at. I mean, it seems like a day-to-day thing, a game-to-game thing, where he's going to be good or bad, and then he was missing layups too. But if KU got good Dave every single game of the tournament, I'd feel real good about them getting the Elite Eight. I'd feel pretty good about them maybe making a Final Four. I just – that inconsistency and not knowing with the injury is, is probably a bad thing uh, for Kansas because, uh, yeah, that's, that's what can knock you out on a one-game sample. And then that's something to obviously be concerned about because – the backups of that position are, are very much um, unknown for Kansas, or at least not as proven uh, as Dave has been so far this season. As far as the guys catching fire, I mean, you you got to look at the point guard position. You know, DeWan has not had his best two games the last two games. I, I think he has a great role as long as he can make open threes and has confidence, but it seems like his confidence is shaking a little bit. So, I mean, you can say Remy. Yeah, Remy started to guard a little bit in the first half yesterday. Uh, things started to click for him a little bit, so... They need him to play point guard. Obviously, he's a guy that could catch fire, and, and he was brought on the team specifically, you would think, to make difficult shots against difficult defenses. And come back to the NCAA tournament, you need a guy to rise up and make a shot, and, and he could definitely do that. And, and you go to Joe Yesifu. Um, I know Bill Self is really happy with what he did last night and some of the speed and athleticism he can provide. I feel like when Joe's out there, the ball really moves, and uh, he's been unselfish and then obviously used his speed to get his shoulders past people and create opportunities that way. So... It'd be one of those two guys, and the fact that KU has both on their bench, uh, that's that's a really big positive. I mean, if you're going to catch lightning in a bottle, KU at least has some ingredients to, to make that sort of thunderstorm take place. So uh, we'll see if it happens here late in the season, but uh, KU could be in much worse position if you were looking down the bench and saying, hey, I just don't see any solutions on this roster. There's just a couple guys you look at and you say, hey, uh, I could see a scenario where they could light up and be this year's Malik Newman. Yeah, what do you make of Remy's performance? Because it feels like, like you said, I thought the defense was good last night, and yet it was a game where he didn't score any points, and it felt like I don't I don't remember exactly how many minutes he played in the first half, but it felt like for a while uh, the minutes was were dropping off in the second half. Well, what do you make of that whole situation uh, with Remy Martin? Is it do you think impacting things at all? Trying to work the chemistry back with him this late in the season? Is it working? Are you seeing signs in the positive direction? Well, I think since he's playing. Some minutes now, I think it's positive for him. And I think his knee has looked 
pretty good. He's he's moved pretty well. Um, it's so funny because I feel like I change the narrative with Remy Martin every week, and, and and maybe that's my fault. I feel like right now the fact that he's looking healthy, and last night he played defense again. First half he was getting after guys, was causing some turnovers. I think that's all really positive. I I, I wonder in Bill Self's mind when I'm rewatching this tape, sometimes. What Kansas does so well, and this is what the 2018 team did so well, too, if, if they don't worry about who gets the shot. If they just keep moving the ball, ball screen, move it, ball screen, move it, ball. I mean, they can get one guy drawing two guys, pass, one guy drawing two guys, and they just make it really difficult for the defense to guard. Remy gets in, and, you know, it's just a little stickier. It's just a little bit more like dribble, 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 dribble and then you lose your advantage. And, again, Remy has made some shots. He's made some difficult shots off the dribble. He's going to need that at some point in the NCAA tournament. If he remains healthy, I just – it's like a chemistry weird balance right now because I think that Dewan Harris, for all those offensive issues he's had, you know, when there are four other scorers on the court, I think it's really good to have him in there because he distributes and he finds those guys. Like, it's, it's – Otay Abadji doesn't get so many points if nobody's passing to him, nobody's finding him. And, and Dewan kind of plays that role really well, but yet he has struggled the last two games. So I think with Remy, it's, it's just this balancing act. If he continues the defensive effort, I think his minutes will continue to go up. But right now, it's just getting that slow offensively because KU, I think, was really clicking before he came back offensively, finding that group like we talked about the K-State game. And now that he's back, it's just, it's just a half-second hesitation, just a dribble or two too much. And I think sometimes that throws Kansas off and maybe throws their own team chemistry off a little bit where players start to think about themselves rather than the team. And, and all it takes is that little bit to get off kilter, and, and, and that's kind of where I'd be. Uh, that's why I'd be really focused on if I was Drummond Martin, just make sure that that ball moves, make sure the thing uh, Tucker keeps them around the perimeter because KU has really good offensive players. I know that you know the main guys are still playing certain roles, but with – the struggles of maybe Mitch Lightfoot the past few games with the Remy Martin insertion with, I don't know, whatever the role for Joe Yesifu and some others are going to be. Can you remember the KU kind of rotation having this many question marks this late in the season? It's tough, too, um, and that's what's so weird because early in the season we all thought it was going to be like still tough deepest bench, and then like he barely played anybody with the starters, and now it's back to like tinkering with a bunch of guys again. So this is interesting. Um, this actually might be a really good year. A lot of times I feel like Kansas has been hurt by the Big 12 tournament because they've locked up a one seed and like they don't really gain much from it. This year might actually be a blessing because um, it might give Phil Self two or three more games where he can tinker, figure out what lineups he wants to go with, who he's comfortable with, and move forward with those. Because like you said, Derek, you don't need a great bench in the NCAA tournament. The stats for that over time, I wrote about that a couple weeks ago, but uh, right now, it's kind of a mismatch, and it doesn't seem like Bill Self has a great comfort level with who he wants to put in at the right time. So maybe the Big 12 tournament can give a little bit more clarity in that situation. Uh, what's going on with Ochag Baji's shooting struggles the last few games? And and is this team, um, I guess, I don't know, like, I, I know it sounds stupid to say, well, if your best player isn't playing well, like, clearly you're not going to be as good. But I don't know. Are they more reliant on, on one individual player than we've seen in, in a little bit of time? You know, I, I think TCU is different than the others. Um, and I, I tweeted about this earlier, but you can look up some numbers of shot quality where they label your shots based or your possessions based on good possessions or bad possessions. Bad possessions are where you are not as efficient, you know, individually. And Ocha's not as good in the mid range. And he has been mostly 
avoided turnovers most of the season, but uh, he had three against TCU and then had a bunch of mid-range shots. So I think he was just pressing a little bit. And, and that's what I'm talking about, Derek, when I talk about, you know, if Remy Martin takes two or three extra dribbles and, and pulls up and doesn't run team-first offense one time, what does that do for the rest of your guys? Because if everybody's mind is free, if everybody's ready to make the extra pass, if everybody's being unselfish and finding Dave inside and doing the right things and doing the things that are best for the team, you don't have those thoughts of, I got to get mine to go save the team. And, and sometimes I think very small things in games can disrupt that chemistry. And so last night I did feel like, Ochai Baji, whatever triggered it, I, I felt like he felt like he needed to do a little bit more than what is needed with this Kansas team. Because again, they have other guys who can score. They have other dudes. And, and Ochai can get his by playing off David McCormick, by playing off Jalen Wilson. Those guys are dangerous too. So I think last night was, Probably Ochai's worst night, just to be completely honest with you. And defensively, he lost a few guys, too. So I think, you know, he scored all year. I think what has been really good for him all year is that he's been okay with that attention and okay to let other people feed off of that. Last night, he seemed to push the issue a little bit too much. So we'll see him uh, bounce back, I'm sure, against TCU, and we'll see if KU tries to handle that in any different way after watching this film today. All right, real quick, kiss, Mary kill, Gonzaga, Davidson, and those Colorado State Rams that you dissed earlier. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm Marion Gonzaga all the way to the end. They'll be my national title pick. Uh, Colorado State, uh, we can kiss them. They're all right. They're pretty good for a mid-major. And uh, I guess Davidson, uh, they're just on the kill list. Uh, 24-4, but that's kind of a sham. Defense, no good. All right, Jesse, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Jesse, one last thing. What was the last thing you borrowed and did not return? Oh, man. Thinking of that. I'm sure it was a Nintendo game for my best friend, Mike. Uh, it was probably Super Tecmo Bowl or something like that. <laughs> he is Jesse Newell. Check out all his awesome work in the Kansas City Star and at KansasCity.com. Jesse, appreciate you hopping on as always. All right, thanks, guys. All right, that's Jesse Newell. One hour down, two to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, as well as With Adam Dravetta, I am Derek Johnson. Uh, we're going to be joined by Craig Hershiser here in about. 15, 20 minutes from right now, talking some high school basketball. We've got Lawrence High, boys basketball at the Substate semifinal game over on 92.9 The Bowl and Bowl 929 tonight with pregame 645 tip-off at 7 o'clock. We'll keep you updated along with the game of what's going on at Free State as well, and then Saturday we'll have Substate finals, assuming one or both make it, which uh, they're expected to do. So we'll talk high school hoops with Craig coming up here in a bit. But right now at the top of the 4 o'clock hour on your Wednesday, it's time to go around the world with Adam. That was nice. I think I could have gone longer. Um, so first off, uh, before we begin, I'd like to, uh, and Derek reminded me of this, I'd like to uh, wish a very happy, uh, hey, you got something on your forehead day to all my Catholic <laughs> friends, aka Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. the beginning of Lent. I hope you all have a very fruitful and engaging um, mm. sacrificial season. All right, so we're going to... Uh, we're starting from a story from the UPI. Derek, what is the scariest place on Earth? Australia for Australia. you. Australia. However, this is not anything scary. It's kind of something uh, cool. 
Mm. Um, all right. What washed up after being carried away by floodwaters? Washed up on a beach? A human body. Floating down a river? No. That <laughs> was pretty dark. It was a living thing. Uh, human body. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, a, a, a living cow. A cow was carried away. swim? I don't, well, this one seemed to. <laughs> okay. A cow carried away by floodwaters in Australia was found wandering a beach after floating down a river. The confused cow was spotted wandering Tuesday on Durinbaugh Beach uh, near uh, this place, I can't pronounce, in Queensland um, and uh, Tweedheads, New South Wales. The cow is believed to have been carried away from its home by floodwaters and washed up in the area after floating more than three miles down the Tweed River from a farm in the area. Police responded to the beach and were keeping crowds a safe distance away from the bovine. Animal rescuers were contacted to help devise a plan to relocate the cow. Heavy rains have caused major flooding this weekend on Australia's east coast. I don't want to diminish the suffering of those dealing with the floods. However, just imagine that story from the perspective of the cow. Mm. Like, it's just walking around, eating some grass, and then all of a sudden it's going, oh, I'm in water now. <laughs> oh, I'm on dry land now. This place doesn't look familiar. I always wonder that with, like, you know, if you're on a long road trip and you get, like, a fly in the car or something, and then you yeah. get out at your next stop and you let the fly out, or you just roll down the window and it goes out. I mean, like, wow. Yeah, that for that fly, that's, like, the equivalent of, Basically, me like flying to, to Mars. Japan or so. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a whole new world. They probably like. There's a part of me that when I start thinking about that, I, I feel bad because I'm like, man, he's never going to see his family and friends again. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if flies communicate like that. Uh, it's worth it's worth wondering. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this cow. I always the thing about cows is is they don't appear. They could be brilliant, but they don't come across as the most brilliant. Like you know, that's when what makes them so brilliant. Yeah. 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 That's true. They're hiding mm-hmm. it from us. Like, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like, when you're driving past a, a farm, and you know, a cow looks up and just has this confused look at you, like looking at your car. Like, damn, that's like the fastest cow I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> they're not bright. They don't come across as bright animals, but it's possible they're they're geniuses, mm. and they're just not letting us know. But this cow had the ride of his life, or its life, his, her, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um. And made it three miles down the river, washed Good up for him. just fine. Or her. All right. As a collector of weird things, we're moving on to a different story. Dan Smith. I uh, don't know if that's his real name because it comes. That with an sounds asterisk. so fake. There's a. There's a. Um, Dan th- Smith. Well, I want to be clear. There's an asterisk next to this name, so I do not believe. I mean, as a man whose last name is generic Johnson, Dan Smith yeah, your name's is Derek as generic Johnson. as it comes. So this person claiming to be Dan Smith. Claims he was struck by the strangeness of a painting that he spotted during a visit to his local flea market. He knew then and there that he wanted to bring it home with him. Um, a lo- uh, and now he's looking to sell it uh, on eBay. Derek, what's wrong with this painting? Uh, it's nothing um, inappropriate. Or, or Is this like one of those stories where like this painting goes for $10 million and it, it, there's nothing on it? It's just no. like a blank piece of paper. No. I don't know. Why is like he wanting to get half. rid of it? Uh, it's... Weird looking. The painting is cursed. The woman at the stall allegedly warned Dan against buying the artwork. He chose not to listen. Upon reflection, he now regards his purchase as being the ultimate bad decision and claims that it has since wreaked havoc upon his life. The artwork in question shows two children's dolls seated together. 
against a green-blue background. One of them is a blonde baby doll in a pink dress. Ah, uh, this sounds creepy. The other is a Raggedy Ann-style toy nope. with a mane of red hair. Nope. Determined to get rid of the painting once and for all, Dan is now uh, selling it on eBay with a starting price of $50.50. However, the spooky product description may put buyers off somewhat. Dan claims that the picture initially made him think of Rebirth, but since he's changed his mind and feels the picture only represents the end of things, since buying the artwork, he alleges to have experienced a downward spiral destroying his health, sleep, and his beloved pet hamster. Okay. The product description on eBay reads, Beware, cursed vintage painting dolls, art, creepy, eerie warning, 1967. That's a lot of weird words put together. A couple, couple comments on this. One doesn't sound like his life has been as cursed as he thinks it is. His, his hamster died and he's sleeping like crap. That's yeah. what it sounds like to okay. me. Okay. Um, number two, though, you know how, like, when you're watching scary movies, there's always the dumb decisions by the characters. I mean, they make fun of I forget what commercial it is. Like, yeah, T-Mobile Geico. or something. Yeah, Geico. There we go. Where they're like, oh, let's hide next to the chainsaws. Like, that's the type of decisions you make in a, in a scary movie. And most people are like, oh, but I would never do that. This guy did that. Yeah, he did. The lady was like, no, you don't want to buy this. It's cursed. He's the like, ah. The woman at the flea market warned me before buying this, and I will warn you, no good can come from this <laughs> painting. So burn it, man. I didn't think much of it at the time and just assumed she was yeah, one of those. Yeah, why did just throw it away? Just assumed she was one of those oddball dealers hawking their wares for cheap. As for the painting, it looked adorable with two innocent-seeming doll, innocent dolls portrayed in it. No. But she was right. Don't be deceived. I don't know whose cursed blood was mixed in with the painting cursed to create blood. this piece, but its powers are strong. This guy's scared. Yeah, okay. This almost sounds like to me, because if it is really cursed, burn it. Throw it away. Yeah. Do something to it. Figure out what you got to do to get rid of the curse. This sounds like to me that he's playing this up, because I bet you there is a... like. People who are really interested in, like, Halloween or, I don't know, just interested in collecting things that are haunted Macabre or scary, things. right? There, there's, a, there's a market for that. And if you come out with a story and this idea that this thing is haunted, you're going to have a bigger buyer's market for it. So you I want, wonder if this is all just him making this up. You want to buy it? Not one bit. Put it right up in our studio? Not one bit. Dude, work, dolls are so creepy. You already work with me. How much worse can it get for you? No, dolls are so creepy. Um, when I was a kid, we went on a vacation to Williamsburg, rented mm -hmm. out a condo, and in this uh, condo was a photo, or a, a painting, rather, of a young girl. We dubbed her Alice, and it was horrifying looking, <laughs> um, to the point that my mom, I was 12, my oh, one of my sisters was 15, the other was, um, oh, 21, 20 maybe, and then I had my little sister who was... Uh, eight, and the eight-year-old was the only one not frightened by this painting. So my mom put a paper towel over it. <laughs> it was so and the so next scary. day the paper towel was, was gone. gone. No, it stayed up the whole week. Alice is mm. what we named her, and Alice stayed behind that paper towel. And thank, we're, we're better people for it. Um, all right, we're moving on. Also from the UPI, uh, this is out of Nova Scotia. A couple whose three-year-old bulldog gave birth to a litter of eight puppies said they immediately noticed something unusual about one of the newborn puppies. What was unusual about the puppy? Was it Derek? not a bulldog? It was a bulldog. Oh. Uh, it had five legs. It was green. Okay. 
Trevor and Audra Mosher of Middle Sac- Is it a bullfrog? Hey! hey. <laughs> Let me just point that out. That's pretty good. The name of the town these people are from is called Middle Sackville. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let's all grow up here. They said their dog, Freya, was finished after delivering her first seven puppies, but while they were cleaning the canine mother, she started to go into labor again. Freya delivered an eighth puppy, this time encased in a black sack, contrasting with the translucent sacks of its older siblings. Mm. The couple said they initially feared the puppy was a stillborn, but they rushed to clean the newborn canine when she started to move. We started to dry her off and noticed she was green and immediately again thought there was something wrong, so we googled it. She googled, my puppy is green, what's wrong? <laughs> and apparently it is very rare, and it has happened a few times all over the world, Trevor Mosher told Global News. The rare discolor- discoloration, which has been documented before, is believed to be caused by light-colored puppies coming into contact with the green pigments from bile while in the Ew. womb. I gotta tell you, bodies are disgusting. All all bodies. I think human bodies as a whole are disgusting. Um, but now we've learned that dog bodies apparently are pretty gross too. I'm kind of amazed really as rare as it seems to be. I feel very lucky to have witnessed it and been part of it. I know you hear stories about things like that, but to be there and witness it, it was good. Mosher said Freya Mosher said in a Facebook post that the names being considered for the puppy include Holkett, Fiona, Wasabi, Lucky Irish, and Pistachio. The couple said the puppy's green coloring has started to fade in the days since the birth, and experts said it will continue to fade in the coming weeks until it is gone completely. Is Kona capable of reproducing, Derek? Uh, not anymore. Ah. Um, yeah. I, I, that's a... A green puppy. Yeah, so I'm looking at a picture. Um, it's almost like it, it looks like a cow with, like, black spots. A green cow? But then the instead of the white parts of the cow, it's green. Very interesting. I, I almost wish that it would stay this way. It'd be unique. It'd be cool. It'd it would be, be, a, the, it'd be uh, a conversation piece for sure. Yeah, it'd be the rocker of dogs. You give it a mohawk. It's green. Yeah. It would be a conversation starter. You could be like, you know, I found it in the nuclear power plant. Do the they dog, think- somebody you're like petting your friend's dog. And like, yeah, I found Whoa. it in the nuclear power plant. You're like, what? Um, do you think dogs are really colorblind? I, okay, yeah. How do we? How do people know for sure they're colorblind? I wondered how do people know that anybody's colorblind because, like, I'm looking at that thing behind that banner behind you, and to me it looks blue. And yeah, you, my and blue you, might and be And you could red. agree it looks mm-hmm. blue, but what I see is blue, and what you see is blue could be totally different things. Yeah, but I thought colorblind, you just don't even see color. There are some instances. There's like red green colorblindness mm-hmm. where you confuse the two. There are legitimate colorblind tests, so I'm sure colorblindness is real. But I've often wondered, how on earth can we decide... Right, because we- you can't go into the eyes of another human. Yeah. And that's the same thing with dogs. With dogs. I, I thought with dogs, it's like a... Uh, like, they see, like, certain shades they can and can't see, and certain things are, like, darker and lighter. I, but again, like, how do you know that for sure? You can't get into the eyes of a dog. Yeah, I know. There's no way of knowing. What well, if dogs see everything like it's, like... Just like they see it on a fourth dimension. Yeah, that we can't even comprehend. Well, regardless, what I can confirm without knowing any more is that this green dog is a very good dog. Mm. All right. This poor woman, Dot Grant, 52, was with her family watching the musical Bat Out of Hell, which I presume is based on the music of Meatloaf, uh, could not resist the urge to tap her thigh and sing along. 
She said the audience was told to not was not told to stay silent through the production at Edinburgh Playhouse. Dot said during the first half of the show, one of the other ushers flashed their uh, flashlight at me, but I didn't know why. I was tapping my thigh in time to the music and singing under my mask and did not think I was doing anything wrong. Apparently, she was booted from the joint. She had to have been really loud, <laughs> right? Got, the kids got. I gotta think it's more than what Dot's letting on, right? Oh, hundred percent. This sounds like somebody who is just like naturally a loud talker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they go into a room and they feel like they're they have talking no normal. No idea. Yeah. They have no idea. They're at a restaurant. Everybody can hear them, and they're like, "What do you mean? I was talking in a normal voice." I was whispering. Yeah. And it's like that for them is talking under their breath, but for everyone else is like, "I can clearly hear you." Dot says, "I went to speak to the usher not long after this and asked why. <laughs> the response was, my actions were a distraction to the other audience members, and there was no singing." Hmm. Dot told Edinburgh Live that she saw a security worker mo- motioning towards her as the show was reaching its crescendo in the second half. She was told she was at a musical theater show, not a concert, and kicked <laughs> out by eight bouncers. Eight, Derek. Wow. Eight had to drag Dot out of there kicking and screaming. I doubt, I don't think, that's not in there. But hmm. She says eight bouncers had to booted her from the place. She said there was about 15 minutes left, and the security guard asked me to take my jacket and bag and come speak with him. I think there were six security people in the aisle. When outside the bottom bar area, another two arrived, so I was surrounded by eight men, which made me feel very uncomfortable and uneasy. It was explained to me that people had been complaining about my actions of singing and dancing in my seat, and that it was a distraction and off-putting for the cast. I had been singing and I waved my hands a few times, but I didn't think it, that was I wrong. I waved my hand. Okay, never, she is. This kind of feels like it, one of two things. It's slowly building up that I did more and yeah, more yeah, things, yeah, yeah, but yeah. she's not giving it all away. There's clearly more to the story here. Um, as I was waiting outside for my family, I had people from the theater come up to me and stated they were shocked at how I was re- re- uh, treated. So probably one com- person said, wow, on what happened? my behalf. <laughs> Uh, man, a theater po- spokesman said we want everyone to have a great night out, but unless the show has a sing-along in the title or is invited by the performance, audience participation is not uh, is not encouraged. This is partly out of respect for the actors, but it is mainly in consideration for the majority who have paid to listen to the performances taking place on stage. One of two things is happening: either people are very, very are being very, 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 very uptight here. Or mm-hmm. she is lying about how wild and out of control she was. Yeah, I'm guessing this is either somebody like was, maybe it wasn't that loud, but it was the person who was like sitting right behind her next to her and they were ruining the whole thing for her and they got upset with it. That could have happened. But yeah, I, I feel like there's, she's hiding some things there. Yeah. Uh, the story kept escalating. Like, I was just moving my hands around. You know, it's going to be a story in two weeks that comes out go, the lady was naked. Yeah, exactly. She was standing on her like, chair, she was screaming. She was on acid, and she didn't realize what she was doing. Best I could tell, she was shouting in Aramaic. It was very scary. (laughs) Yeah. That is Around the World with Adam. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Craig Hershiser to talk some high school basketball ahead of Substate coming up later tonight and throughout the week. We'll also have some Lance Leipold audio to play for you later on in the show and some more KU basketball talk. This is RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. We got high school hoops on the airwaves tonight. It'll be on our sister station. We have 
Hawk Talk tonight here on KLWN, and then we have the women's basketball game for KU looking to get back to their winning ways. Another win would seemingly punch their ticket. Um, but over on our sister station, 92.9 The Bowl and Bowl929.com, we're going to have the Lawrence High boys game. They'll be taking on Olathe East tonight in the jungle. I'll be on the call with Colsey Butar of that one at 7 o'clock. Uh, Craig, busy tonight, but Craig will be back on the action on Saturday. That'll be for the sub-state final game, and we'll we'll see what the schedule beholds after tonight for uh, what we do on Saturday, but we'll carry that one for you with the sub-state final with Craig on the call with Sam Speck. Uh, let's start with Lawrence High since I, I guess I'm doing their game tonight um, against Olathe East. What is it specifically about the Lions that make you think they are good enough to go on a deep march run and are good enough to make the state title game or maybe win the state title? Well, you know, um, you start, of course, with, with Zaxton, who's averaging about 90. Zaxton, nine, 90. Yeah, how that'd about, be impressive. How hey, about, it is the uh, birthday of Will <laughs> Chamberlain scoring 100. So, <laughs> How about 19 yeah. points a game, which is plenty in its own right. But, but, Derek, you know, they've got several guys here that I think really make that team run. And let's start with Truman Jules Guard, mm-hmm. who does just such a fantastic job of handling the basketball getting the offense going and, you know, facilitating things. And and I I love watching that kid play. I mean, he takes care of the ball. He's virtually t- turnover free. And he is one tough kid out there. And, um, you know, when, when, it gets, when he gets into traffic, um, you can count on him to hang on to the basketball. He's a strong rebounder from his guard position. And, um, and I just I, – I really enjoy watching him play. And I, th- I think he is the key. Well, this is kind of a question that goes into both teams, but obviously both have had so much success in five straight state tournament appearances for Free State, seven straight for Lawrence High. I think if Lawrence High uh, makes state again this year, it would uh, move them into one of the top ten longest streaks in Kansas basketball history for making it to the state tournament in consecutive seasons. Is there any like experience you can count off that? Because obviously, when when that streak first started, mm-hmm. you know these kids were in what fifth, sixth grade, something yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, is there experience that they can rely on coming into this, or is it kind of a new deal every year? Well, yeah, it's experience. It's Mike Lewis's experience. Um, he's been so good and so consistent with that program since he took over as head coach. And um, I watch him coach, and he's got you know such a such a demeanor on the sideline. He's you know he's not demonstrative. Um, he he's pretty collected. I mean, he gets a little out of sorts once in a while, but but uh, but you know he's pretty collected. And I think he's got a good voice with the team, and I think all the kids really respect him. And um, they get out and they play the way that he wants them to play. And he does a nice job of fitting the, their style of play to his team's ability and their talents. And so I think it makes it very easy for kids to play for him. You know, with with Lawrence, when you do have a lot of that experience for players around. You mentioned Truman Jules Guard. Avion Nelson started mm-hmm. on last year's team that made it to uh, the Final Four, as did Free State. Um, Pierce Long was a starter as well. It's interesting, though, because Zaxton King, the guy who is averaging 19 points per game and is leading you in scoring, is the guy that isn't experienced. He's just a sophomore. Does that make it a little more difficult when you're relying on a young player at this point in the season or just having all those ancillary pieces around him who are, uh, I guess, more experienced kind of help neutralize that you know I think veteran coaches would say something to the effect of he's not a sophomore anymore mm-hmm. not at this point in the season uh, they've had a lot of success he's been he's been instrumental in that success but there's plenty of guys around him that you mentioned uh, uh, I got to mention Pierce Long yeah who I think is is also very important to their success uh, and uh, you know going back to the free state game 
Pierce struggled a little bit and really wasn't that involved offensively. And and as a result, I think uh, Lawrence High struggled quite a bit as, as a team as well. I mean, he, he's important. 6'5", strong kid, uh, really gets a lot of work done inside. So, uh, so you know, you, I think you got to have those pieces. Um, Zaxon's going to score. I think you can count on him to be up around that 19, 20-point mark. You know, he's going to get his points without a doubt because he's just that good. You know, but the other guys have got to do their parts as well. Moving over to the free state side of things, we'll, we'll even though we have the Lawrence High broadcast tonight, we'll keep things updated from what's going on over at uh, Free State High School. They're the top team in the state right now by record, 19-1 and regular season for them. So clearly they do a lot of things well, and clearly it would be no surprise for them to make the state tournament or to win the state tournament when you are number one going into it. But what is the top trait about Free State that makes you think that they could win a state title? Come on, you set me up there. Just, I know where you're going. With just this. lob one in there yeah. for me, will you? It's their job de- of the host. Yeah, it's their defense. <laughs> yep. We've talked about it every time we do one of their games. I mean, they give up something like 40 points. 42, I think, right now. My goodness. You're going to win games when you're only giving up 42 points a game. That's, that is stunning. Uh, recap for me because I don't remember exactly, but I know that – Last last Friday, the game we did, they were down fourteen to twelve at quarter, mm-hmm. and then didn't allow a point in the second quarter. Is that I think right? it was two points in the second quarter, and it was at the end of the quarter. And then uh, they just kind of continued on in the third quarter as well. I mean, they just they after getting down in that first quarter and giving up more than you're expected, they just kind of blew them out from there. They just had a death grip mm-hmm. on Olathe Northwest, and uh, uh, it's you know. That's what I love. I love a hard-nosed defensive team, and that's what Free State is. I mean, they get out. They're a little physical, which is good. Um, and I think that they, they, they challenge you everywhere. They challenge first pass. They challenge the dribble. They challenge inside. Uh, they challenge the perimeter shot. I mean, everything you do out there, if you're, if you're the other team, you're going to be challenged. Nothing is easy. Even then, So even then, if you get an open shot, now you're not comfortable just because it's been so hard for the preceding five minutes or whatever, and and we saw this last Friday. Then uh, chances are you're not going to shoot well. Mm-hmm. I, I know this is a very uh, sports radio thing to compare things that are never going to happen, but <laughs> the Free State team from I don't know three years ago, whenever that team with uh, oh Lewinstra? man Garrett Lewinstra and uh, I can't remember the name of the other guard Zach something mm-hmm. um, that team was so good and they made it to the state championship game. Got close with Blue Valley Northwest, yeah. but just fell a little bit short. How would you compare, I guess, this team to that team? Uh, what's the evolution been with Sam Stroh over the years? Well, again... Uh, I mean, all of them have had great defense. Yeah. It has been a staple. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think Sam does a great job of um, of uh, establishing a style of play that's conducive to the talent that he has. And that team that you're mentioning, they, ha- they had some offensive guys out there. And Lewinstra was a joy to watch as a high school basketball player. So they really they really fed off his ball handling, his passing, and then his scoring because he, he did it well in all three of those categories. Um, Free State has some, some offensive guys, but not like that and not like that team. And so they really, they, you know, they make their money off their team defense, mm-hmm. and um, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch them play. Yeah, it is, and I think Mose Downing coming back, like, yep. I mean, that is that is a huge help for them. I know uh, Cooper Jackson and Jet Deneen were doing a, a good job filling in for him as kind of that lead point role, but when you get to the playoffs, like, there's a lot on the shoulders of the point guard. Absolutely, and and Mose an excellent ball handler, and his uh, his perimeter shooting has improved over the years. We saw him hit a couple of threes in the fourth quarter last Friday. 
And uh, so, you know, you're, you're watching that and you think, well, there's, you know, there's a, there's a handful of threes from a source we don't expect, but, but he can hit those threes. And so, um, you know, at six, three, I think he is, um, he's a pretty tough kid as well. And so, um, uh, he, he's, you know, I don't know if he's, if he's the key, but he's certainly one of them. Yeah. I think that's a pretty big consistent with free state. It's, it's not just that they have good defenders. They have versatile switchable defenders i mean even jet denine who's like five nine five ten yep we see him playing in the post half the time all their players can just kind of switch around and and that isn't really something you see too often in high school basketball jet relishes that role you know another football player with good basketball skills and another mm-hmm. tough-minded kid and he's strong and um so you you watch him play and you know i referenced earlier that uh, that pierce struggled mm-hmm. you know in the lawrence high game well, why was that jet was guarding him face guarding him and um uh, and he just he takes on those challenges you mentioned. He's in the post. Yeah, they they put him in the post and the offense. They get him to the high post, and he's able to pass from the high post position. And they have him defending the post player as well. And and uh, smart, smart and tough, and athletic. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty good combination. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think if we were to list like X factors for these two teams, two players come to mind for Lawrence High. It's Avion Nelson. Yeah. For Free State, it's Dash Cleveland. Dash has been just so hot the last couple of weeks, and. Um, I saw him uh, a week ago. I was I was at school, and I saw him, and I and I just I talked to him a little bit about his evolution as a basketball player and how he's really coming on right now. And, and he talked about his confidence and how good he felt right now playing. and And you can see it. You know, he just he's doing things out there on the floor that he wasn't doing earlier in the season, and that that's all confidence right there. He is Craig Hershiser. Again, you can hear him on the call on Saturday for Substate final game. We'll, we'll know tonight what all that action is, probably 6 or 7 o'clock. Uh, that'll be on 92.9 The Bull and Bull929.com, as will the Substate semifinal game tonight. We'll be at Lawrence High School, but we'll keep you updated on the Free State score as well. Uh, that's because we have all sorts of programming, KU women's basketball, men's basketball here on KLWN. Craig, thank you for the time, man. Absolutely. All right, that's Craig Hershiser. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Brevetta. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Adam Dravetta. I am Derek Johnson. As I mentioned earlier with Craig, happy 60th birthday to Will Chamberlain scoring 100 points. 100 points in a single game. Pretty cool. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's like more than 99. Mm-hmm. 98 even. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh... I, I just, like, wonder – that's one of those moments where it's, like, you know, for the most part, I Twitter is a cesspool, and, and honestly, like, I, I do not like social media, but there are certain times when, you know, it has its place. That would be one of those moments where I would love to, like, go back in time and see what social media would be like on the day that Will Chamberlain dropped uh, 100 there points. There would be – I mean, there would it would be the same – it would be what you would expect. It would be people – using it oh god he's the greatest ever and then other people going no because yeah. it's this dude that'd be the best part watch the all that, 22 oh and, dude first take the next day Stephen yeah. a it would be infuriating i don't care that he scored a hundred <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah it Fantastic. was yeah it, it's it's just yeah it i yeah 
I think most world events are better mm. without without Twitter being part of it. Yeah, probably. Okay, so KU loses to TCU last night. I I don't know it. KU was was up at halftime. They felt a little flat really throughout the whole game, especially in the second half. I mean, TCU to start was hitting some tough mid-range looks, and and that's what was weird about the game. It felt like TCU was hitting these tough mid-range looks. TCU, it felt like outplayed Kansas in the first half. Maybe they came out a little flat. KU adjusting to maybe some different lineups that they hadn't played, and yet you were up one at halftime. Yeah. And at that point, I honestly sat there and went, man, this doesn't feel good, but the fact that you're leading despite all that, I think Kansas is going to be okay tonight. Yeah, 29 and a half is, is awful. 29 yeah. in, in the second And then they hit the back-to-back back three. Yeah. Hideous. Yeah, and just a, a poor game all around for this. And that and that's what's weird. As good as this offense is, they have games like that. They have stretches like that. Yeah, and now they've had two in a, two two games in a row where it's been I mean, well, they I mean, they scored 70 on Saturday, so it's not like they were um but man, last night was was truly bad offensive like just bad everywhere I and mean, there's no that i think is the thing is you, you can't come away like you can come away from last night going okay looking at the sample size this is still a really good team but there's nothing good to take away from last night there's no way you can dress it up i mean you just they play bad uh if there is a good thing to take away it's that they rarely play that bad yeah it's just it, it was very odd because it wasn't just that they played bad. Like it wasn't just, hey, we went three of twenty-five from three. They hit tough shots, tip your cap. Like that was just kind of a, a lack of effort game. It just felt like flat faced, poor defensive game, poor defensive rebounding game, poor effort game. I mean, Bill Self called in the uh like he said there were 70 30 balls in that game, with the 70 obviously being for TCU. And and it's weird because this wasn't just a, you know, middle of January, late January, something like that game where you're playing on the road and you just it's just one of those performances. You had every single reason in that game yeah. for it to be a game that you got up for. You're coming off a loss. Okay, that should be enough to bounce back. Um you have a uh an opportunity to clinch this thing outright. Clinch this thing outright by winning out and this being one of your I don't know. By Ken Palm, it was their their lowest percentage chance to win of the games remaining, and they just didn't have it. Yeah, they didn't show up really, especially in the second half. Um, if you, I mean, if I were kind of having to act as their defense attorney, I would point out that it was mm. uh, their second. Um, uh, they don't have a defense attorney because they ain't got no defense. Hey, that was a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, well done. <laughs> Proud of you. Anyway. Um, it was their second. Uh, it was their second uh, straight road game, hmm. um, in a flat atmosphere, um, and the overall product still looks very, very good. Hmm. Well, so I, that's that's what I would argue in their favor. But it, there's nothing. Um, that was just a bad, you know. And I guess you could argue, you know, well, are they? Um, is there something to be said about TCU might have been more up because they came off a huge win and they're playing for they're they're beyond playing for a bid right now they're playing for seeding, um, so maybe they were just more up. But uh, Kansas really played; they picked a hell of a time to play one of their worst mm-hmm. games of the year. Yeah, and again, like I I could have also you convinced me that happened if let's say. That was the third game of the three week three game week this week. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, they're tired. But again, they're just 
It makes no sense because now what has to happen by virtue of that, KU now has to win out to get a piece of the Big 12, which it does feel a little bit more like a chore at this point, even though you're playing both at home. You just saw you get smacked by that team. Like There wasn't a lot in that TCU game that I point to and say, Oh, well, they won't shoot 50% from three this time around. It was just, they just flat out beat you. Yeah. Um, also, I, I think that they're probably by a lot of bracketologists off the one line, but it's not like very far off. I think they can very clearly still get a one seed. It's not impossible. But I do think at this point, the only way they get a one seed is they're going to have to win out, including the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, yeah I would agree. Um, and that would, yeah, I, I I would agree with that completely. I mean, maybe the one scenario is if, you know, they win these next two, then they make it to the Big 12 championship game, and then they lose a game to Baylor, because at that point, Baylor is going to be one of the top two I think one seeds. somebody between Auburn and Kentucky That's the is problem. the one. That's the problem. I think Gonzaga is the one. I think Arizona is the one. Yeah, if, if you don't win out, then that scenario is basically you hoping that Kentucky and Auburn both lose in the SEC tournament before they play each other yep. in the SEC championship, and you're hoping Arizona gets upset, or you're hoping Purdue doesn't win the Big Ten championship. Whatever, all these yeah, teams I think in contention. Purdue, I think Purdue Duke, is further, well, I don't know. I think Purdue is further off the one line than Kansas is. Um, I mean, you could you could make an argument that Wisconsin's closer to a one than Purdue right now because Purdue. If this were the days when when they when your last ten mattered in terms of how the tur- the committee looked at you Purdue would be in a, a in trouble right now yeah um, maybe I mean they're still projected as like the last two on bracket matrix yeah I know I mean so like if they went out that's five quad two quad one wins yeah between. I just yeah that's true I just don't know if the, if it's overly possible that they're going to. yeah point is it's just a smaller margin for error uh, yeah and and you you lost of those three games you lost the one that you were you know most likely to lose that was at TCU um you've got two home games coming up um, but it's just, I don't know. It, it really is difficult to feel good after a performance like that. And even more difficult when you don't have much time to turn it to, to make up mm-hmm. for it. Well, it's not entirely new for this team to have a loss like that. Like, okay, clearly the 2019 and, and la- the 2018, 19 and last year's team, were just not as good of teams. But if I were to say like this, that was last night, KU's worst loss since, and, and that's a very, um, open to interpretation thing because you could say I think a lot well, of people, Dayton, you know, yeah, like, Dayton, or yeah. things like that. But just in terms of like what the game meant versus how good this team is or has shown to be, I would say this is probably KU's worst loss since 2018 when they lost to Oklahoma State. When they the, got home one, the home one. I mean, the road one was bad as well but at the end already, of the season. They clinched everything. But they cl- exactly. Yeah. Um, the home one was at that point, it was like, oh, no, this team might not win the Big 12. Mm-hmm. I remember there were stories about, because I think it, it was the anniversary of some KU like Final Four team or national championship, and they were in town. There was like an alumni banquet. And Bill Self, the, the story goes, he brought the team on the stage and basically oh, scolded yeah. them in front of the alumni and said, uh, we're sorry that this is how we represented you, all that stuff. Yep, I remember um, that. That would probably be up there. And this feels similar to that. And, you know, we were having the conversation with Jesse, all the comparisons with the 2018 team. That would certainly serve as that because in that game, similar to this one, was a game against a lesser opponent where you just kind of got punked. Like, you just got effort-wise beat. Yeah, like, that yeah. was the biggest part Everything, of that game. Yeah. And that's what's, I think, different about this team. And I guess the 2018 team was probably similar in this way, though even that 2018 team, had games where you would say they won ugly. They won, like Bill Self 
ton of likes. Like the opening game of the season, I remember against Kentucky was like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, um, I think that was the 66-62 game. But this team doesn't really win ugly. They don't really play consistent defense. They don't play like a tough brand of basketball. They haven't won the classic Bill Self big games like, oh, he has this insane record against top five opponents or these knockout games. They haven't done that. The Kentucky game, the Baylor game on the road. Um, and they didn't come out energized I mean, off look, a loss in a game. Like I this- agree, but they they still did on the topic of mm-hmm. like the, the notable game the notable win for this team is shelling a top five team. And yes. They did that. Yeah, I'm I just saying like this in very many ways this is very opposite of the traits that you expect of a Bill Self team. That doesn't mean they're not good. That doesn't mean that they can't do this and that and make a final, whatever. It's just different. Yeah, I would agree. They're they're not showing out for a game last night that late in the season is is kind of like, Oof. Well, because like everything we talked about last week with the knockout games, the common theme with all those teams who did win that big knockout game, those were all great teams. And this team didn't do that against Baylor, but that was fine. But then once you follow it up with that, yeah. which is a loss that other bad teams would take, not bad teams, but bad by KU standards uh, or the Bill Self era, um, just, you know, it, it is a bit of a disappointment and it is kind of a, a loss of some of the air in the balloon. I guess, so to speak. Everything's still in front of this team. They can still get a one seed. They can still win the Big 12. They can still win the Big 12 tournament. They can still make a Final Four. But it just feels like... It's such a different mood than how yes. this, this, everything felt last Wednesday. It feels like what you were talking about earlier, there's going to be a lot more ifs yeah. than there were maybe just as soon as last week. All right, this is Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We're going to take a out. When we come back, we'll play the rest of what Lance Leipold had to say. Media availability. This is KLWN. Depend on it.